digital humans are no longer just for movies. In fact, in the media space, they're in play extensively throughout our daily world. Will Driscoll is the co-founder and CEO of Wild Capture, and his technology company creates these amazing creatures, well, humans. As he puts it, we help build the bridge between volumetric video and digital humans for robust media and tech production needs. I've been fascinated by this for years, and it was really fun to find out more about how it is done. Stay tuned, because Will is truly amazing. It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, Conversations with host Serena Catania. Will, I am fascinated with what you do. I was at CES actually in 2018 when you were involved with the Intel presentation there. There was a whole setup. Can you tell us what that was? And then I want to get into more of the detail of what you do. We're talking about the Wild West one? Yeah. I mean, come on. The name Wild West alone, right? (laughs) I joined Intel Sports slash Intel Studios. I didn't know what I was getting into. I just knew that they had their replay technologies, which became TrueView. I walked in and they said, hey, we're constructing this elaborate dome, which essentially looked like you could put a jumbo jet in the middle of it. And it was still in progress. Just the metal wireframe was there, but the cameras weren't there. The room for the servers was there, et cetera, et cetera. So I knew I was walking into something crazy because there was people walking everywhere. And there was this excitement to do something new and different with this brand new technology that worked in the sports arena, but hadn't yet been realized on this grand scale. Volumetric video is what we're talking about. Right. I think at the time there were 48 cameras set up and we had a deadline of CES and they said, we want to shoot something with horses because the first imagery was of a horse. So we knew we had to do something with stunts with horses and some kind of a storyline we could tell within 30 seconds. They brought in choreographers and all this other stuff. And essentially we built a town square and shot a bunch of people with uh, practical facades that later were CG added enhancement. The purpose of this was to run a digital camera through it where the cinematography occurred after the fact. It was all shot simultaneously. The cameras, they generated a three-dimensional point cloud, which in spatial media allowed for the director of photography to fly the camera through the scene And ultimately today, since this technology has evolved, now you can experience it yourself on a phone or a headset. But at the time, the bandwidth for this was so massive that we had to do it on a high scale level. And so we went the whole nine yards with stunts, practical effects, CG effects, set extension, practical extension. So it was a really cool project. And I get to work with some really smart people. We get to crunch on a problem that kind of had a solution, but not really for that magnitude. So it was the Wild West's project behind the scenes, too. Yeah, that was a very appropriate name for it. Isn't it nice to find something that you love to do, and then you get this opportunity to be right in the middle of it? And that really was a turning point in this whole technology, wasn't it? I mean, I'm going to tell everybody right now, I am not an expert in this by any means. I have been fascinated by it for years, and I love just watching what you guys do. 
when I was there, I looked around and I went, oh my God, I can't even believe this. Let's just back up for a minute and let's tell people about your company, what you do now, and then we'll kind of bounce back and forth as the conversation happens because my mind is going all over the place with this. It's just so exciting. So tell us about Wild Capture. We might even want to define volumetric video. Yes. But basically, my company, Wild Capture, we're a digital human studio. We're focused on taking the traditional rig character, animated character mentality, but adding the four-dimensional scanned human element of it, where you have live-action, art-directable, reanimatable humans. Right now, we're launching our digital human platform, which essentially takes this highly complex, very intricate, unsorted data sets and simplifies them for creatives. So it's doing a lot of the heavy lifting of data management, optimization, even some cleanup that enables them to take these live action digital humans into their spatial projects, whether it be film visual effects, stunts, crowds, game characters, AI, NPC type characters, It's in augmented reality, mostly in the music industry. We're doing single song, short form virtual concerts. It all goes into the whole virtual world and the future of the spatial web, which everybody's calling the metaverse. We have an open source, open collective vibe to this, especially on the metaverse side of this, where we're trying to bring awareness to volumetric video technology and just the various scanned forms of humans in order to convert them to digital humans. I have a friend actually who has built a virtual museum for fashion. So I'm thinking that this is also applicable to people for fashion, not just uh, the history of fashion, but actual current fashion, like costume design. Is that correct? Fashion is huge in volumetric video, especially the digital fashion side of this. A lot of companies are currently shooting people in costume, in wardrobe, for catalogs, and that's going to augmented reality, etc. But what we've specialized in is, since we're studying the human form, we're scanning the bodies and utilizing collider geometry within ourselves, we're able to drape CG clothing onto the models. And we started off with the mundane basic where a few layers, but we're getting into more intricate patterns and designs. And we're looking to tackle Haute Couture at a certain point where there's undulating animated objects on the dresses. Obviously, some of this can only exist in the digital world, but there's fashion shows where you have the practical shoot and then they have an augmented element over the shoot to enhance, in some cases, They even have digital avatars with the animation occurring. That's the high-end element of this. But what it also opens is a new movement in fashion known as inclusive fashion, where for years, a lot of the manufacturers only produced garments that fit certain body types, and people kind of had to fit in between those body types. And in recent years, now that all this body scanning occurs, There's more opportunities for customization and form-fitting people so that everybody can have that perfect fit. And so we're kind of riding on that edge of the digital twin, both practical and CG, where we scan the models for the catalog. We 
replicate the clothing with CG designers so that the elements of the CG garment are exact to the physical properties of the physical garment. We even shoot 2D footage to verify this. And the goal is that there's a CG catalog where a user can, from any angle, view a garment in motion. So whether they're active wear, walking on a catwalk, standing, sitting, you name it. You know, our hope is that this helps manufacturers with consumer confidence and purchase, fewer returns, that sort of methodology. I can see a day when I go on Amazon and I look at something and try it on right there. That's kind of cool. I can see a huge playing field for this. What is your crowd toolkit? We developed something we're calling Cohort. It's pretty universal in the visual effects world currently. So it's mainly meant for high-end crowd kit, but we are making it available for Unreal Engine virtual production. But as you can imagine, running hundreds of humanoids simultaneously real-time is a difficult challenge. So right now it exists where we can take characters' performance, we capture them with a certain choreography so that all of the character states are mixed into that performance. And we blend between the various states and we're able to create variants of each of the characters with this collidable technology I was telling you about. We're able to put props on them, put brands on clothing, et cetera, et cetera, change the colors. So we're able to randomize the people. And as we go, the more people we study, our machine learning algorithms allow us to manipulate the people, swap elements of one person onto another. It's an ongoing process. We're currently in between alpha, almost ready for beta. One of the beauties is that the output is fully USD, universal scene description compatible. So that's the next wave of interoperability amongst the 3D packages and render pipelines. That's where augmented reality and virtual reality seem to be going as well. With all this NVIDIA keynote that just happened, it seems like all roads are starting to converge a little bit here. This is so funny. I feel like I'm in the middle of the good old days and really the Wild West, the new frontier. I can think of two movies that I worked on on the set. They had huge crowds. One of them was a Jean-Claude Van Damme film that shot in the arena with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we needed 15,000 people in the scene. And there were cardboard cutouts. And on Stargate, too, that all had to be rebuilt. The opening scene in the mines and then the scenes in the desert, those all had to be rebuilt. And that was a painstaking process. That was a newer technology. But boy, you're a dream come true for filmmakers. Really, this is cool. It's a real exciting time. And as somebody who's dealt with crowds and dealt with CG characters, we aim to try to make this a time saver because for the time it takes to make a CG character look realistic, even with this new metahuman technology, granted, that was a huge boost forward, too, for artists. This is working with live humans backwards as opposed to working with inanimate object and trying to bring it to life. We have our fair share of technical challenges with the live action photography and solve side of this. You know, there's noise in the solves, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of challenges to volumetric video, but the benefits outweigh those challenges. It's one of those two steps forward, one step back kind of things. There's certain processes that 
today's pipelines have worked out that we have to go backwards to reinvent just for compatibility sort of thing. So that's kind of what I mean by that. So you have a very patient team, but we were going to talk about what is volumetric video for those of us like me who don't really understand exactly what it is. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it is? Sure. Volumetric video is holograms. We all remember the Star Wars hologram beaming out of R2-D2. Essentially, we're not there yet, but we kind of are there. The technology to scan people exists today where an individual stands in the center of a camera array of calibrated cameras, and they simultaneously record a person from all angles. That data is combined and sorted to generate a 3D model of the person, essentially like photogrammetry, but over time. So it's, it's video. As time goes, the cameras get better. The machine learning algorithms get stronger. The compute power is getting infinitely better as well. So the quality is exponentially growing. So for a while there, it was stuck in that cooler than video game quality, but not quite ready for the prime time. But we're basically there now. This technology, we fooled a few people with it. We have a few situations where we weren't even able to say we used volumetric video and the public bought it kind of thing. This was before Wild Capture, but during Wild Capture, we're pushing the limits of the art directability of this content because getting back into the challenges of it, it's unsorted, just raw data where each frame is independent of other frames unless the capture system itself has processes that can create something called coherence. So a series of frames with similar shapes can be tracked as one object. They use a UV set for the texture. That UV set can have consistency over the course of a certain number of frames. This is great for streaming video because if every frame is changing for streaming video, the quality is, isn't good unless it's got a really high bit rate. Having these little benefits of the temporal coherence, that's the first step of optimization in this process. And a lot of times, luckily, the manufacturers provide that now built into the systems. I'm sitting here thinking about the back room and where you're putting all of this information and how freaking big it is. I mean, it's huge. These files are huge, right? Absolutely, yeah. And so you have to have speed, you have to have, pun intended, you have to have volume on your disks, right? Yep. How are you capturing all of this and where are you storing it? I'm just curious, then we'll get back to all the other stuff too, but I'm a workflow kind of person. So I'm visualizing where does all this go and how big is it? Can you give us just an example? There's a number of flavors of volumetric video also. There's lower end, which is single or a few camera arrays, which that data is pretty manageable. Indie filmmaker would have no problem working with that data and they could create cool visual effects with it, et cetera. Then you've got mid-grade stages, which capture the full body, but they're either meant for real-time playback or mobile quality, I guess we can call it. And those are predominantly the ones that you'll find. And that data is managed on their own servers, on their proprietary systems. And then there's the higher end companies that you need either server farms or work on their clouds. We work with a company called 40 Views a lot out of France. They're one of our partners. 
they have system arrays where a lot of the process occurs within their technology and they optimize the output so that you're dealing with the optimum output out of their system. It essentially compresses that data internally on, on a NAS RAID and you give the client just the output and you're able to compress the raw data and refer back to it. Whereas Microsoft has a technology, Microsoft Mixed Reality Stage, and they use their own cloud. So the Azure cloud. So in their case, a lot of the data would exist on the cloud. You would probably upload it. And I imagine there's a local render farm as well at some of the stages to process this data locally. And so it's set up. So you've got your archive and then you've got your export, like a lot of things. That export is all the client really needs usually, unless they're on a high-end project and they need the 2D photography or whatever have you. I mean, I'm sitting here with a NAS that has 288 terabytes and it's almost full and I'm not even working with U-Volume. So it just, you know, I freak out when I hear about stuff like this. And also the other thing too, is that about, oh, maybe 10 years ago, somebody asked me what I would be interested in in the future. And I said, holographic imagery, <laughs> not at all knowing it. They looked at me like, what? Why? And I find what you're doing really, really fascinating. So when I read about you and I read Digital Humans, I had the reaction that a lot of us who work in the industry have, and that was, uh-oh, are we all going to be replaced? When people ask you that, what do you say? Absolutely not. This is telepresence at best. Yes, you can tell a message. You can synthesize a human relationship even at a certain point with all this chatbot technology. We're pretty close to a point where you could synthesize a human, but I feel like we'll always know if that's a person or not on the other end. There'll be those subtle cues of human presence that this nor any other technology will ever truly get. We can suspend belief, but as far as our true inquisition of something, I think we'll be able to detect human or not. Yeah, I was watching Zuckerberg when he announced the change over to Meta, and I was looking at that going, is this a real person or is this AI? And I, I still think it was AI, but maybe that's just because he's not very emotional when he talks. I don't know. That's funny you say that because that was my natural response to it as well was we don't see much expression on his face. So his avatar isn't a good example of an avatar. No. Who's their creative director? That's who I want to see. Exactly. There's got to be some art director there. That art is a little jarring, so I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, that gets me to the other question, because video is so important, and there are companies that you can give them a transcript, and you can pick an avatar, and the person will talk, but the technology's not to the point yet where the human emotions don't come out. They're a little bit stilted. They sound like a sci-fi movie when you walk in the door, and they go, Will, welcome home. You have not had your coffee yet today, right? So how are we doing with emotion and acting? And I'm sure that's evolving too, right? There's two things here. If we're talking the AI, I think the AI response time and the ability to calculate those responses isn't there yet. I've been following what Digital Domain was doing with that Digital Doug project. And they released something maybe about a year ago that was kind of cool, but it also exposed a lot of the limitations of where we are with this. The timing it took to get that response, the the accuracy of the response, but nonetheless, it's very impressive as well. So 
I'd say it's an ongoing R&D process to get the AI there. But what is working right now is the volumetric video capture of one-for-one live performance, whether it be theatrical, whether it be influential, somebody who has a message, a talking head, let's say, maybe there's an altruistic cause. The individual could translate that message in a way that they otherwise can't. And it's a recording, but it's that human, it's presence. And so I feel like everybody's in a hurry to get to real time, which we are too, but there's this moment where we can capture the human element, just like a documentary film can, but this is an emotional presence in front of you. A friend of ours worked on a Marina Ambrovich piece for HoloLens with a company called Tindrum named Shaw Walters. He created this really elaborate experience in the HoloLens, which was, I think, eight to 11 minutes long, where she did her performance art and you had a visceral connection to it. I actually haven't had the privilege of seeing the experience, so I'm describing it to you secondhand. But nonetheless, the theatrical element of this is something to be experienced. Well, you know, during COVID, when all the theaters, the live theaters, not movie theaters, but the live theaters for music or just live performances of any kind plays, all those theaters closed down during COVID. And I just had this image in my head of all of these actors coming together, maybe even being recorded and developed separately, but then you could actually project them into the theater and film it that way, or people could come and they could populate the theater still with all the COVID restrictions and they could still have some kind of an amazing experience. Is that possible now? There's been virtual reality theater where there are actual plays performed with people in controller suits, et cetera, et cetera. I'd say it's a little bit more accessible on the avatar motion capture side of things. Where we are, there's a few companies that have achieve telepresence, which essentially is real-time volumetric video, but it's very limited in what it can achieve right now. So I'm imagining you wouldn't be able to simultaneously stream a few at, at a time yet, but I'm sure that's right around the corner. Whereas there's hybrid versions of this with some of these depth sensors where you can have frontal point cloud put together a play, if you will. But I would say more on the avatar side, that's more attainable. Now, in volumetric video, we've recorded performances and synced them together. So action occurred between two characters. And in even certain cases where there's a handoff between them, obviously it's going to be choreographed and it's a production. It's not a real-time thing. I'm not asking too much. I want the Lion King. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, give me the Lion King. So I'm sure I'm forgetting to ask you or don't know enough to ask you, what does your company do that's really different? And where are you at the forefront? Can you tell us that again and sort of put all of this into perspective for people who don't understand this as well as you do? Sure. What makes Wild Capture stand out in this space is I'd start with our philosophies. We believe in the awareness of volumetric video, educating, sharing our knowledge base of the capture side of this, as well as how to work it into your pipelines. And then the accessibility of it, generally an expensive medium to get into. And so we're working with stages to try to make it more accessible. Some of them already have affordable 
projects, et cetera. But what kind of sets us apart is we're focused on the high end. We're focused on the mid range. We're focused on the quick and dirty. We're kind of agnostic. We're workflow experts who come from cinematography side of this, as well as the visual effects side of this. So on both ends, we're trying to make this easier for the capture team, as well as the post teams. And we started out with services mostly, but we're getting into products. So this digital human platform we're launching is essentially a portal for clients to use content they've already shot or they're going to shoot, link it through our machine learning algorithms, and they're able to produce sorted data, wild data, if you will. So we're providing that workflow so that any artist who wants a realistic live human in their 3D project on any level has a little bit easier than they would have otherwise. And hopefully we save them countless hours in the process. A lot of these painstaking processes that are certainly not creative. (laughs) So were you really good in math when you were a kid? I'm a tinkerer. I feel like this is a great time to be a tinkerer with all the novel technology out there. I'm just somebody who tries to fit it into its spot. And if it doesn't, figure out how to connect the two things. I'm not a very good programmer. I'm not a very good artist. I guess you'd say I'm a jack of all trades. But that scope gives me the opportunity to connect the two areas that need to connect that maybe somebody who's more of a specialist may overlook. I think there's a place in the world for jack-of-all-trades. I think we are invaluable. (laughs) Okay, I have another question. Did you watch The Mandalorian, or were you at all involved in that? Because that was pretty awesome. I wished we were. There was a hot minute where we talked to those guys on their second season for crowds because they have beautiful environments. That whole workflow, obviously, is revolutionary. The subject matter is, I referenced Star Wars earlier, so obviously... Growing up in that generation, it was pretty cool to see all the little bells and whistles recognized. And they're able to do that because of all these technologies, both practical and CG, neatly coming together. Fortunately, we had nothing to do with Mandalorian. I'm hoping more volumetric video makes its way into cinema. I think it will. So, Will, you've got some great people that you're working with and some other companies that have come in to work with you on this stuff. Tell me about your team. Sure. The core wild capture team is two very skilled cinematographers, XR producer. First, Louis Normandin. He's our chief operations officer. He's got extensive years in all sorts of cinematography, and he's one of the most skilled biometric video cinematographers, having uh, shot with me on a bunch of the different stages we've shot on. And our other partner is Evan Pessis. He's in charge of our partnerships. And he's produced a bunch of large-scale immersive events and XR productions. And we've got a strong partnership with Georgia State University Creative Media Industries Institute. That's where our capture stage is in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's a 40-view stage where we're engaging the students and the local Atlanta community to learn how to operate the stage, especially while we're physically in Los Angeles We're able to work with them, sending the data across the country. At that location, that's where we're going to host workshops, and it's open for production. And it's run by a a woman named Candace Algier, 
who's been around for a while with Giant Studios, with Weta Digital and all the high-end Lord of the Rings, all those James Cameron sort of stuff. That's awesome. She's been around for a while. I'm lucky to be working with her and her team. And it's a great facility, a great community to work with. So is there a link we can go to that will tell us more about that particular facility? Creative Media Industries Institute at Georgia State University. That's awesome. Where do people go to learn more about you and your company? Right now, we've got wildcapture.io, our website. We're still in the early stages of our platform, but we're going to be launching workshops, both in person and virtual, on how to shoot this content, how to adopt it. We've got certain open source tools, as well as our universal volumetric format. We co-authored with a group called XR Foundation. They built their own essentially metaverse engine called XR Engine. And so we use that as our world system for all this virtual concerts and events, etc. So we're going to launch workshops. We're going to have tutorial systems and open source libraries with instructions on how to adopt it. Especially Uval is something we love to see adopted. And that's why we made it open source. I think you're definitely in the right place at the right time, and you've been building up to it for a lot of years. It's really exciting. You know, it's exciting whenever you can, in your life, be at a point in time with technology where you know everything's shifting. It's just really exciting. Makes life interesting. So I urge everybody to go to wildcapture.io. Check it out. And we're going to be watching you. Please let us know when you have news. We'll bring you back on the show again. And thank you for your time. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to talk about? I'm sure there's a bazillion things, but I appreciate your time and I hope this was helpful. Yeah, Will, it's been really fun. I really mean it. I'm going to be keeping an eye on you and I wish you all the best. Break a leg with the new ventures and come back on OWC Radio again very soon. And everyone listening, he's Will Driscoll. I'm Serena Catania. You're on OWC Radio. And remember what I tell you every show, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. And who knows, you might have 48 cameras tracking you one of these days, right? Right? <laughs> Have a good day and thanks for listening. 